Amen. All right. It was just an average, you know, evening with an average family. They were, they were all tucked into bed, all nice and neat. And when suddenly, 12-year-old Rosita, she was awakened by the sound of clattering jars. So obviously, she gets up to look around. She knows that, listen, it wasn't just the clay pots uh, that were shaking. So it was the floor of the house. So she did what any 12-year-old would do. And she cried out to her mom and says, hey, honey, don't worry. Go back to bed. It's only the volcano shaking. So with her mother's reassurance, Rosita simply lay back down in her bed in total peace and silence. But that was all to change. All of a sudden, Rosita heard a strange sound like, like twigs that were snapping. So she runs out the front door of her home, and, and, and what she saw made her freeze right there in her tracks. Listen, something like brown foam was coming out of the streets, headed her way, so she screamed in utter terror. Why? Because that brown foam, listen, was a massive wall of mud, 132 feet high, filled with trees traveling at 30 miles an hour. First, it started uh, dragging beds along. Then it started crushing walls. Then it actually caused cars to run people down. But that was just the beginning. Soon, entire buildings were completely destroyed, breaking into pieces, adding boulder-sized chunks of concrete into the mud, which now meant, listen, the wall of mud became like a wall of tractors that chopped and shredded everything in its path. And when the screams and the cries and the mud flow had finally silenced, the death toll rang out. Listen, in just a few minutes' time, 23,000 people were drowned in a pool of mud. Believe it or not, the year was 1985, and the disaster was the Armero Mudslide. Now, has anybody heard of the Armero Mudslide? I didn't know if we'd get any on that one, and sure enough, we did. But I think one thing we can't agree on, hello, that was a horrible, horrible disaster. One of the worst disasters of all time, right? Okay, but once again, you guys know the theme with all due respect to those who lost their lives in the Armero mudslide. What if I were to tell you, I know a disaster that makes that mudslide look like a kid's carnival ride. And what if I were to tell you that this disaster didn't occur at one place at one time. Okay, but it's going on right now, today, all over the world. And it's been leaving a trail of death and destruction for centuries. Once again, we're talking about our study, the satanic war on the Christian. And folks, again, this is the fact. We Christians do not battle here and there once in a while. Are you kidding me? We go to war every single day. The moment we got saved, whether we see it, feel it, believe it or not, we entered into a spiritual war against a real-life demonic host whose sole purpose is to not just mess things up, but to destroy your walk and effectiveness for Jesus Christ. So in order to stop getting duped and beat up unnecessarily so as a Christian, okay, this side of heaven, we're going to continue our study this satanic war on the Christian. Now, we've already seen if you're going to win a war, what's the first thing you got to do? It's basic knowledge. You got to know who in the world your enemy is. We already dealt with that. The second thing, what your enemy is like. The third thing, the tactic of your enemy. The fourth thing, the destruction of your enemy. And the last three times we saw was the temptation of your enemy. That he really is out there, folks, every single day tempting us to sin against God. And we saw last time the second temptation he fires at you and I is the temptation to become a tormented Christian on your own doing. You don't have to, but this is what he's trying to get you to do. And what we saw is the evil one, the devil, will actually trick us into learning not how temptation works. We don't learn it. We don't take the time, even though the Bible's replete of that process. Why? Because he's not dumb. He is the author of temptation. He knows that if we never learn how temptation works on us, how he uses it to approach us, then guess what? We'll never understand how it works. We won't experience Christ's victory. It's self-torment. We'll be tormented again and again and again. Now, we saw in the book of James that how the enemy does it is he goes through the mind. It always starts in the mind. So we said, well, how does he get into the mind? Well, last time we saw the first way he does it is through the ears. 
He draws the temptation into the ears because once it goes into the ear, it goes into the mind. Once it goes into the mind, we start thinking about it. Once you start thinking about it, what's James say? Boom, you give birth to sin. That's the process every time. And we saw that he gets that temptation into our ears, into our minds, okay, with the ungodly words coming out of people's lips. And then we saw it comes with the ungodly words put to music called lyrics. Okay, and that's one of the things that it has nothing to do, we're going to see this again today, it has nothing to do with legalism, it has everything to do with common sense. Are you sick and tired of being tempted? Guess what? Then get rid of the temptation. That's all it is. It's not that hard to figure out. But the ears is the first way the enemy gets it into our brain, okay? The next way he does it is through the eyes. Goes into the ears, into the brain, you start thinking about it, it gives birth to sin. Not just that, it can go into your eyes to go into your brain, then it gives birth to sin. And that's why Jesus said, you better pay attention to what you allow into your eyes, okay? Now, I didn't say it, he did. Open your Bibles to Matthew 6, okay? Matthew 6, and just two verses from Jesus, but very profound. He tells us what is the role of the eye and the importance of paying attention. Don't you set anything wicked in there. Don't let wicked stuff come into your eyes, okay? Matthew chapter 6, okay? If you find Matthew, what do you do? Well, tell them to get in here. Service has started. But yes, Bobby, the book of Matthew, go to chapter 6. And uh, let's take a look at Let's go ahead and stand as we read God's holy word, right? Matthew 6, verse 22, Jesus said, the eye is just no big deal. Don't worry about it. No, I'm sorry. He said, it is what? The what? Lamp of the body. It illuminates your body, okay? So here's the choice you got every single day. If your eyes are what? Good. What's the payoff? Your whole body will be full of light, okay? But... Here's the negative. If your eyes are bad, you put a bunch of junk in there, what's going to happen? Your whole body will be full of darkness. And if that's all you do every day, day in, day out, if then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Things get dark real fast with your eyeballs. Okay, uh, you may be seated, but we're taking a look here. What Jesus says, in essence, clues us into the second method. The enemy gets his darkness... Okay, his darkness or his temptation into our minds. And he says, it's not like going through our ears. We saw that last time. Now he points out specifically the eyes. He says the eyes are the lamp of our body. The eyes are the instruments that illuminate our soul, our body, our life. And Jesus said, this is your choice. In essence, every day you get out of bed. Right? How many of you guys use your eyes so far today? Praise God, especially for those of you who drove here. But okay, <laughs> we use our eyes. So every day you get out of bed, you open them up, you got an instant choice just like with the ears, okay? And what he says, hey, here's your choice. If you allow light or you allow good things into your eyes, then guess what? Praise God, it's going to be a good day with Jesus. Good things are going to happen. Light's coming in. It's awesome. Maintain that and it's going to be an awesome day. But what's the danger? What's the flip side? He said, you don't do that, right? And you focus on the darkness and you allow dark things into your eyes, then guess what? Man, you might have started out with a great day with Christ, but it's going to end up in destruction. It's going to get dark. In fact, he says it's going to get very, very dark very fast. How great it will become if you don't shut that off. Okay, why? Because, again, it's the same process. Not just with the ears. You hear something that goes into the brain. You don't shut it off. What's James say? You start to think about it. And then it conceives. Boom, gives birth to sin. Same thing with the eyes, right? You, you, you see it? It's like you, in, instead of turning away, it, you look at it and it goes into your brain. And, and instead of shutting it off, what happens? You think about it, think, boom, and it gives birth to sin. It's the same process of temptation, okay? And, and that's what Jesus is warning us about. What you allow, not just into your ears, what you allow into your eyes influences your brain, which influences your behavior for good or bad, light or darkness. You got it? That's what he's saying there, okay? Now, guess what? The devil knows this. He's not stupid. 
I mean, he's the author of temptation, right? He knows how to get us and get us to compromise, okay? And I want to expose two ways that he gets us to compromise with the eyes, okay? And the first way is with the dress, with the dress, okay? Now, how many guys realize that this is not a meat market, to use the terminology? Did you know, did you know that we are here to worship Jesus Christ, right? But see, that's what Paul even had to address back in the early church. Some people were going to church services, and their dress was not appropriate. They were trying to draw attention to themselves. And he says, don't do that. Don't do that at all, okay? But let's take a look at that passage. He talks about that. 1 Timothy chapter 2, okay? 1 Timothy chapter 2. Paul clearly talks about this. He says, and I want women, okay, to be what? Modest in their appearance. And they should wear decent and appropriate clothing, not to what? Not to draw attention to themselves. Why? Because why are we here for church services? Because there's a chili cook-off contest in two weeks. Yes, that is true. There really is a chili cook-off contest in two weeks. But that's not what we're here for. We're here to what? Draw attention to Jesus, right? That's what the word glorify means. It means to give attention to. We're here to glorify God. We're here to glorify Jesus. Not yourself. Not yourself. So don't use that in your clothes. And then he goes on, he says, by also the way you fix your hair, or by the wearing of gold, or expensive clothes, okay? For women who claim to be devoted to God, you should focus on making yourselves attractive by what? By the good things you do, not by Gucci, okay? Or all these other things, all the styles from society, okay? By the good things that you do, that's what makes you attractive now now let me let me clarify some of this because you start going down this route and people, oh you're being legalistic you're one of those hey i'm glad you're here praise god and you guys know my heart on this i've shared with you the story from another pastor church has got so stinking legal i'll use that word stinking that's a good kansas word good stinking legalistic that man they went nuts because that guy that young teenager came and showed up with a baseball cap on and they went nuts went nuts let him out of the church and he went and committed suicide that night. Just because of a stupid baseball cap. Are you kidding me? I'm glad you're here. This has nothing to do about legalism. That's not what Paul's talking about here. It's about common sense. Don't let your dress become something that's going to draw attention to you and away from Jesus Christ. And we're going to see even more a temptation to others. Right? So, so that, that's the issue there. So I'm glad you're here. Praise God. Okay? We're not hung up. You know, only good spiritual Christians once wearing a tie like Pastor Bill. I don't know. Okay? Right? But at the same time, I think sometimes we've gone over the end and we're like way too comfortable. So there is a balance there. But see, that's, a, that's a between you and God. Right? Otherwise, if I start laying down all these rules, then that's legalism. Okay, that's what I'm saying. And, and by the way, uh, you know, he, he talks about the whole thing, the whole package, if you will. Not just the clothes, but the hair and all that stuff. And, and be, oh, see, that's why you know, ladies should only wear dresses. And if you wear pants, that's from the devil. No, no, no. A lady should never wear makeup. Right? That's a... Really? Hey, listen, I didn't say he did, but I think it's a good rule. J. Vernon McGee, and I quote, he said, listen, if a barn needs painting, paint it. <laughs> hey, let's just close in prayer. Right? <laughs> Careful, husbands. <laughs> Don't get too enthusiastic. <laughs> but, but the point is this, and again, what's he focusing on? Of course, he's calling out the women, but in, the principle is what? Men or women. Right? Because guys can do the same thing. Hopefully not with makeup. Okay? But, you know, you can, do, you can treat it like a meat market, right? You, you, weren't, you just had to wear that tank top. It's 30 degrees outside. And then you're sitting next to that lady that you're interested in. Oh, let me go. Let me, let me get that Bible for you. Oh. Oh. 
Oh, you dropped something? Guys do the same thing, right? And Paul says, don't do that. Don't do that. That's not what we're here for, okay? The question is this, okay? Uh, uh, Seriously, the Bible says, here's the point. Whether it's a man or woman, whatever, the principle of the text is our parents as Christians. Our parents, okay? And so the question is this. How in the world does the Bible say that we Christians should be dressing ourselves? What was the key words that he used there? He uses specifically the words there, modesty and decency. Why? Because it's not just pleasing to God, okay? The reason why it's pleasing to God, because it is not only keeping other people from drawing attention to you when it's supposed to be about him, but it's not a temptation to other people either. Because the eyes can be a temptation, and this is the problem. People today, even Christians, I don't know if you notice this, man, but they are dressing themselves not in modesty and decency. They're dressing themselves immodestly and indecency, and I'm talking even in the church. And I got this narrowed down to, I think, two options. Here's my synopsis. One, and I'll try to be positive. Maybe the reason why that's going on is because the clothes dryers across America are way too hot and they're shrinking everybody's clothes and so we need to boycott Maytag. One, option one. Or two, most likely they bought into a lie that the less clothing you have, the better you will appear. We're going to see some quotes from kids, the same thing with the media influence, right? How you appear, you know, that's the big thing. You talk about girls getting caught up in being skinny. You got to be skinny, You're skinny, because nobody likes you skinny, and you got to wear these clothes, and the less clothes, the better, and skinny. Uh, hey, let me just, let me share this. This is a profound truth, right? Okay, get, hold up your arm right there. Just hold up your arm right there. Right, now, 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 now pinch your skin right there. You got their skin there? You see that? Right, now, get your other arm out there. Now, now, the other side there, and pinch it. And there's skin there, too. Now, don't do it, I'm, just keep this. Right, but, but did you know? That our whole bodies are full of skin. We got so much skin, we don't know what to do with. So turn to somebody and say, hey, we're all skinny. <laughs> let's just close in prayer. That was the thought for today. No, let's move on. I got a lot to cover. But that's the illusion, right? I'll be accepted if I'm skinny. I'll be accepted if I wear this makeup or I don't wear these clothes and less clothes and all that. God says, listen, no, Period. You want to be a godly Christian? Show up by the way you live, not by how you dress. That's just superficial. And you certainly don't want to become a temptation to man. We are to inwardly adorn ourselves with godliness. The the attraction to other people should come from within, not from without, Paul says. We are to inwardly adorn ourselves for the glory of God, not the seduction of man. And again, when you start going down this route, people say, hey, listen, Pastor Billy, now you've gone off the edge, right? Now, first of all, you're still stuck in 1985 with your hairdo, right? But now you're a Puritan. Right? You're going even further back in history, right? You're a wacky Puritan guy. I am not influencing anybody to sin, even in the church, by how I dress. Really? Uh, well, then explain to me these statistics on people who don't wear dress, the lack thereof, on pornography, and you tell me if this could not become a seduction to other people. Let's take a look. 25. The sex industry is the largest and most profitable industry in the world. This includes street prostitution, strip clubs, phone sex, and pornography. 24. 13,000 adult videos are produced annually, amassing over $13 billion in profit. By comparison, Hollywood released 507 movies and made only $8.8 billion. 23. 
The porn industry also makes more money than the National Football League, the National Basketball Association, and Major League Baseball combined. They also make more than NBC, CBS, and ABC combined. And if that's not enough, they have larger revenues than top technology companies such as Microsoft, Google, Amazon, eBay, Yahoo, Apple, and Netflix combined. 22. At any given second of the day, there are as much as 30 million unique visitors visiting porn sites. This means that there are about 30 million unique visitors viewing porn right now. And now. And now. 21. The most searched porn-related word in America is cream pie, according to a recent Pornhub analysis. Teen is also very popular. 20. However, globally, teen is the most searched term. A Google Trend analysis found that searches for teen porn have more than tripled between 2005 and 2013. Moreover, teen porn was the fastest growing genre over this period. 19. There are claims that Utah has the highest consumption per capita of porn in the United States. 18. In North Korea, the punishment for viewing porn is death. 17. Just about half of the internet is made up of porn or porn-related content. 16. A University of Montreal study found that most guys are exposed to porn for the first time at age 10. 15. Presidential elections seem to influence porn consumption. In 2004, after President Bush won the election, conservative states, red states, saw an increase in porn-related internet searches, while in 2008, after Obama won, liberal states, blue states, saw an increase in porn-related searches. 14. There are over 68 million daily searches for pornography in the United States, which is about 25% of all daily searches. 13. Male porn performers do not make that much. However, they make more money performing in gay rather than straight porn, as much as three times as much per film. 12. Most men watch or have watched porn. Someone from the University of Montreal tried conducting a study, but when he tried to create a control group of men in their 20s that haven't consumed porn, he couldn't find a single one. 11. The United States is the top producer of pornographic DVDs and web material. The second largest is Germany. 10. In fact, every 39 minutes a new porn film is created in the United States. 9. 20% of American men admit that they access pornography at work. 8. Which coincides with sex trackers' findings of 70% of all internet porn traffic occurring during workdays from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. 7. 88.2% of top-related porn scenes show aggressive acts where 70% of the occurrences are perpetrated by the guy. 6. While viewing porn, men focus on a woman's face. That's right, not the butt, legs, or even breasts. 5. There is a fallacious rumor that Australia bans porn that shows women with 8-cup breasts or smaller. In reality, there is no specific rule banning small-breasted models. However, there is an issue with classification of porn due to actors not looking adult enough, which could then be categorized as either child sexual abuse or offensive sexual fetishes. 4. Internet porn in the UK receives more traffic than social networks, shopping, gaming, finance, and travel. 3. Several recent studies have found that teenagers from all over the world use porn to learn about real-life sex. 2. Though true, women do watch porn, most studies show that women watch far less porn than men. And one, 10% of adults admit to legitimately have an online porn addiction. Wow. 
Well, let's continue on with some stats because I want to take a look at that one thing. He said, uh, uh, I, I didn't want to leave on the note that it downplayed that women is not an issue. That's not true, okay? Uh, it's actually rising among women. One in three women use pornography at least once per week. Now, granted, that is less than men, but it is massively increasing on women uh, today. People who view porn regularly are less likely to get married than those who do not because porn is seen as a substitute for marital sexual gratification. Okay, and we're seeing that trend today. I am doing, I used to do more funerals uh, or weddings than funerals. Now it's completely flip-flopped. Okay, it is rare for me to, because people don't want to get married and this has a direct result. Pornography also shown an increase of marital infidelity by 300%. A 2014 study showed that people who listen frequently view pornography have decreased brain cells, damage to their front and, uh, shrunken frontal lobes, making their brains smaller on average than those people who do not uh, view pornography. It actually damages the brain, right? Pornography consumption is also not just mood altering. It's they're now finally figuring out it's addicted as narcotics, just like heroin. Okay, let's take a look at that. I want to talk to you about this, our brain. Sometimes we challenge those goals and do things that kind of hurt our brains like this and this. This was the worst. I don't even know what he's thinking. And sometimes we just make stupid decisions with those brains and, you know, this guy. Luckily this guy's wearing a helmet, so. <laughs> but what are some other things that might hurt our brains? Obviously we've got alcohol, we've got drugs, and we've got, you know, big metal balls with spikes on the end of them, but I want to talk about a new drug. The thing is, pornography is not all that new. It's been around since the beginning. So why don't we call it a new drug? Well, that's because scientists are just now, over the last decade, beginning to understand what pornography really does, how it affects our brains, and how and psychologists are understanding how it affects our behaviors and sociologists, our society. And so we're just beginning to understand that it can be just as addictive as drugs, as hard drugs, and that it can lead to addiction. But some of you are looking now, they're going like, well, how? It doesn't make any sense. How? Again, I don't sniff it, I don't smoke it. Well, how? Let me show you. Pornography goes in through the eyes, in through the iris, and triggers a release of chemicals in your brain. Chemicals like dopamine, serotonin, epinephrine, oxytocin. Now this is a science class, but you may, you, know, you may have heard of some of those. Now these are natural chemicals that your body produces. These chemicals are needed. When you do drugs, hard drugs, or look at pornographic material, your brain is overloaded with these chemicals. After you keep looking at porn, your brain gets used to those high amounts and builds up a tolerance. Those same images that once gave you a rush don't have the same effect anymore. In order to get that same rush, it not only takes more of it, but it also takes a more hardcore version of it. Your brain becomes dependent on that rush of chemicals and literally rewires itself to think that that's normal. And so you cannot function without it. That is addiction. The same process happens with cocaine and heroin. They can't stop. Interesting. No wonder it's become an epidemic. You know, he mentioned there that your brain wants more and more and more, and then it has to get more obtuse in order to get the same high, just like with drugs. Been there, done that in the pre-Jesus days, doing drugs. Same thing. It starts out and you just got to get more. He's saying the same thing with pornography, right? But it leads to more and more. Uh, things. I don't know if you've ever seen the testimony with uh, Dr. James Dobson back in the day, interviewed Ted Bundy before he was uh, uh, executed uh, for his crimes. 
And if you look at that, he admitted that what got him going down that road, he took full ownership of his behavior, but he said, I want people to understand the process of how I went from being raised in a Christian environment to becoming a mass murderer. He said basically he was walking down an alley and he got exposed to pornography that was laying in a trash can. He said, and just like this, he says, once you get addicted to it, you need a bigger high, another high. And so he had to get into even more perverse things and whatever. And then he began to act that out and things of that nature until he became a mass murderer. It's the same process uh, as drugs, okay? And so here's the facts. If another person's illicit dress does not influence us visually, all right, uh, or lack thereof, okay, then why in the world is pornography becoming a multi-billion dollar industry? Not million, multi-billion. Why are so many lives being destroyed? And this is the danger that Jesus is warning us about. Let's get back to the context. The eyes are the lamp of the body. You let good stuff in, praise God. You let bad stuff in, how great is that darkness. And we're seeing that just in the area of pornography. Okay, in fact, he says, listen, your eyes, you better pay attention to them because they can become a source of visual sin, right? And this is what he says elsewhere here. What did Jesus say? Matthew 5, back it up a chapter, 27 through 28. You've heard that the law of Moses says, do not commit adultery, right? Of course, we all know that one. But Jesus said, here's my standard. But I say anyone who even looks at a woman with lust in his eye has already committed adultery in his heart. That's Jesus' standard, okay? The Bible says if you look at another person, uh, uh, their dress or lack thereof, whether it be in this world, whether it be pornography, dare I say, unfortunately, even in a church service, can you believe that? That I even have to say that. Jesus said you've committed adultery with your eyes in your heart. And the Bible, that's why he says, that's what Paul had to deal with this 2,000 years ago, roughly. No Christian should have any part, not just in porneia, in the Greek, pornography, okay, let alone they should not have any part of dressing themselves immodestly or indecently, period, let alone in a church service. Why? Because we're here to glorify God. We're here to draw attention to God, not ourselves, and certainly not to become a source of visual temptation. Make the wise choice. Only let light in that thing. Make the commitment. The second way, it's not just through the dress. There's another way. And he keeps it going, right? Because it's bad enough to live in this world. Have you noticed that? Is anybody getting the, like uh, 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 neck sores? <laughs> from every time you drive, mm, get turn the head, mm, get turn the head, mm, get, right? Some guy got whiplash, man, right? But hey, that's what you got to do, right? But see, I can't control that in the world, but guess what? Whew, praise God, at least when I get home, it's a safety net. Well, it's supposed to be. But we got this thing coming in called drama. And it keeps the temptation going. And it has nothing to do with legalism. If you're sick and tired of being tempted, what do you do? Get rid of the temptation. And this is why David made this commitment, right? Here's what he says, Psalm 101, verse 3. I will what? I will set no. Now, how much is no? No, no. What's, what's nothing? Zero, nada. Zero. I will set no wicked thing before my eyes, right? In fact, I hate the work of them. They're trying to turn me aside from God. It shall not cleave to me. Uh-oh, why? Why did David make that commitment? You know the story. Bathsheba. First of all, David was in a position he should not have been. He should have been at war with the rest of the guys. Mistake number one. Number two, he was at the top. He happened to look over and he saw Bathsheba and she was taking a bath or whatever. Right? That's not why her name is that, by the way. But anyway, if you ever wondered, <laughs> biblical scholars, right? <laughs> anyway, so, but so he looked down and you know what he should have done? Should have got the whiplash. Woo! Right? But he didn't. He set that wicked, and she's not wicked, but what he was doing was wicked. He, he, that wicked thing before his eyes, and he can't, and what, what, what's Jesus, you, you don't turn around, what's going to happen? It's going in your brain, James says, you start thinking about it, boom, it gives birth to sin, and sure enough it did. 
He didn't turn away. He was in a position he should never have been, and he didn't turn away even when the bad uh, source of temptation came, right? And so guess what? Then he committed the sin. He went and committed adultery, and then he tried to cover it with murder. Ah! So David says, no, never again, man. I learned my lesson the hard way. No more of that, man. You got me once, but no more. I will set no wicked thing before my eyes. That stuff, mm-mm, man, it's not going to cling to me. And again, this is common sense. David got burned the hard way, so listen to David. In essence, what's he telling us? If you're sick and tired of being tempted, then get rid of the temptation. Don't do what I did. Don't keep looking at it. Don't keep doing it again and again. Why? Because you're going to get burned. It's the same process of temptation. It's going into your eyes, just like with the ears. It goes into your brain. You don't shut it off. It starts to wonder, and it gives birth to sin. Listen to me. I learned the hard way. But what's going on today? We wonder why Christians, there's so much immorality in the church you wonder why people ah, i just can't get this i just my thoughts are just going crazy it's all full of immorality I just shut it up well then shut off where it's coming from what are you doing any given day do a little time scale thing okay here's what i was doing here's what i was looking here's what i was doing and then shut it off it's if, if it's not about god if it's not about christ then shut it off it's that simple but oh no it's just entertainment it has no effect on me. Remember, we've been through that before. That's what the enemy wants us to think. No. The media is one of the biggest sources of what I call self-torment. Self-torment. And we keep that constant temptation going through the drama. It's bad enough we've got to deal with all this visual temptation outside of us that we can't control. But then the, the world today has got its condition. Oh, keep it coming when we get home. We can't ever get rid of it. Oh, you can but see, we've been brainwashed and thinking it has no effect on us when it does. No wonder Christians are not experiencing the victory that Christ has already given us over sin. No wonder we're having a problem with immorality. No wonder we can't seem to get those sinful thoughts out of our head. We can't seem to shut it off. And it's not about legalism. It's common sense. Are you tired of it? Are you sick of it? Shut it off. Put on something that's honoring to God. That's just simple. Right? But let's take some of those stats. You tell me if we are not mesmerized with this viewing thing on TV. On average, the typical American views is five hours a day of TV, right? 141 hours a month, 1,692 hours a year. If you lived to 78, you just spent 15 years of your life watching just TV. I ain't got time to serve Jesus. I ain't got time to pray. I ain't got time. To... Yes, you do. We're wasting it. On other things. The average home has two and a half TV sets. 31% have four sets or more. And the whole family together averages seven hours and 40 minutes just watching TV every single day. Parents, combine that, 38 and a half minutes you spend with your kids in conversation. So who's the parent? Not the parents. The TV is the parent. Percentage of Americans who watch TV while eating dinner is 40%. One in four uh, Americans fall asleep to, with the TV on. Just got to have it going on three nights a week at least there. Uh, listen to this. The average uh, per year the American youth spends in school 900 hours in school. Well, guess what? 1,023 hours watching TV. So not only who's the parent, who's the teacher? Back to the TV, right? The percentage of daycare centers. Oh, at least the kids get a break. No, they don't. 70% of them. Got that TV piping in there. Even little kids can't get away from it, right? Children spend more time watching TV than any other activity than sleep. Crazy, heavy-duty influence, okay? And listen to this. They're not even supervised. The ages of from 2 to 7, watching unsupervised, 81%. Can you believe that? And, and, and as you and I know all the filth, nobody's watching this. So that means 2 to 7, they're in, ingesting this stuff. 
No wonder things are so messed up. And ages seven above, 95% don't monitor them. Crazy, crazy. Percentage of Americans who can name the three stooges, 59. Uh, percentage that can name three Supreme Court justices, 17. Oh, and here's the feat. That's right. Uh, by the age of 10, most children can name more brands of beer than presidents. Right? Okay, the influence of television. We are estimated there's 38 commercials air every minute across national TV. Uh, the number of commercials viewed by a child in one year is 20,000. And by the age of two, they know brand loyalty. Have you ever been there? You're driving in? I kid, I'll never forget this one. This, I, both my kids are here. I won't tell you which one. But one of them, they were about two years old. I kid you not. We're, they're in the back seat, right? We're driving. That's all we seem to do is driving in the car. Back seat, and they go, oh, McDonald's. Actually, one of them used to call it Big Donald's. We go to Big Donald's. But anyway, so whatever. So, but, but why? Because that sign's nice and tall for somebody, a little crumb snatcher looking out the window. They can see the what? The M. They know what they're doing. They couldn't say, but they knew that M meant, Two years old. They know what the big golden arches mean. Because the influence of TV. Commercials, on the average, if you're 65, you watch 2 million commercials by the time you're 65. Also, here's the effects. Here's what you get. It rots your brain. This is secular research, okay? Especially damaging for kids in the developing years. Studies show that Americans' child watches 16,000 murders, 200,000 acts of violence by the time they graduate high school. Cartoons, even cartoons, you can't get away from them. And we're not talking Bugs Bunny. Okay, uh, 20 violent acts per hour alone. 70% of shows, this is 2005, sexual content way worse than uh, today. Uh, another study, 50 hours of programming had 156 acts of sexual intercourse. Okay, television is also bad for your health. A recent study says too much can increase developing obesity, heart disease, and type 2 diabetes. It feeds you false information. If you notice this, we're dealing with this. What's the phrase we use today? Fake Media. People believe it. They assume it's true. You're being lied. You're being misled. That's another danger. It also makes you dumb. I'm not making this up. Watching TV can hinder your ability. It keeps you from your critical thinking processes. These are secular studies, by the way. And it keeps you misinformed and manipulated. Remember we saw before in our study that it actually puts you in a, a semi-hypnotic state so that by the time you're done watching the... and you're starting to drool, bang! That's when they drop the commercial on you because you're in a highly suggestive state. We saw that before. Okay, you might think you're becoming more knowledgeable. You're not. And also waste your time. Hello, life is short and we spend it watching what? TV. But I ain't got time to seek God. I ain't got time to read the Bible. I ain't got time to serve in the church. I, why, why is there so much temptation? I just... If you've come to me for counseling, typically one of the first things I will always ask you, how's your walk with Jesus Christ? Because simply when temptation overcomes you, something's going wrong in your walk with Christ. You need to put him uh, first, okay? But again, they say, oh, well, this doesn't affect me. Well, I, I'm, I'm just, this is secular research. So I'm just kind of thinking, well, well, wait a second. So if secular researchers admit that too much TV is dangerous to your health and, and, and it can cause uh, brain damage and, and can misinform you and manipulate you, then I'd probably say it's probably not the best thing to be doing with all your time. Anybody? It's secular research, okay? And it's not just hurting your health. It's not just wasting your time. It's enticing you to what? Get back to the issue. Sin with your eyes. You know, 156 acts of sexual intercourse? Do they even show a positive family, male and female, husband and wife? They don't even show that. I haven't got into the homosexual thing or anything of that nature, right? But it's the family unit is gone. And then it's everybody sleeping together. It's called fornication. That's the norm. Everybody's doing it. Before you even get to the end. 
And nobody's watching what this is doing to the generation coming up. 95%. The sex, the greed, the lies, on and on it goes. But again, you might think, Pastor Billy, I'm just waiting for you next week to show up with one of those big black rimmed hats with the thing and the big old stove top on top, Mr. Puritan. Because we all know that the media has no effect on us whatsoever. Right? Yes, sarcasm to make a point. Folks, if that's true, advertisers spend $183 billion last year alone. Not million. $183 billion. You tell me... Now, now, well, again, let's, let's give a synopsis here. Either they are some of the dumbest people with all due respect on the planet and they have so much money to burn that they're using it for fuel or... They know that that investment is going to get them billions more back because it does influence our behavior. And that's really what's going on. But if you don't want to listen to common sense statistics, then, then, then maybe you should listen to kids. Kids have a way to be a little bit more honest with the effect and the power of media on their own behavior. These are quotes from kids. Cigarette billboards tell you to smoke, so do beer commercials on TV. Too many advertisements for alcohol. They, they, they make you buy toys and cigarettes and beer, and I, I feel like they want me to smoke or maybe drink. I, I don't like the way they portray alcohol with men and women, especially with women. Another kid said, it, it says to do what you want to do and don't listen. Gee whiz, moms and dads. It, it's made me to make bad choices and do some things I thought was right but was really wrong. Commercials make you buy things. Candy. I, I think they're trying to get you to buy something. And we, we can be influenced by choices people on TV make. Another kid says, there's too many killings on TV. There's way too much violence on TV. It caused me to think that most people are like that. And people they show are violent and scrubby and dirty. And caused me to think that all violent people are like that. TV shows violence and gory things a lot. Too much violence. Too much doing drugs. It scares me and influences me to have bad nightmares. Another uh, girl said, it says that everyone wants to be skinny, so I want to be skinny. Where are they getting all that from? The media. Lies and bad pictures, too much sex. It makes me think getting hit and, and, and hurt is cool. Uh, sex on TV is extremely bad. It causes people to think that everybody's doing it. TV makes you feel that you have to be beautiful in order to be a good person. Guns and violence, another kid says. The media is big on stuff like violence, bad examples. A lot of violence and killings, too much drugs and killing. It's caused me to be more violent in some of my actions. Video games, too much fighting, watching people getting beat up. The media is always showing people dying. It's changed me to be not so nice because I saw it on TV. Another kid said violence and sex, drugs and sex, show bad stuff, half pornographic, all the sex and violence, X-rated shows on cable, women as sex objects, see other people naked on TV all the time. Another kid said it's caused me to swear more often. Have you noticed that? Have you gone to the grocery store? Here comes this little three-year-old and they're dropping bombs. Whoa. If we ever did something like that, I wouldn't be walking for at least a good year. And I wasn't even raised in a Christian home. Where, and first of all, how, where, what? How did you even learn that so early? Where do you think they're getting it from? It's caused me to swear more often. Lots of foul language, swearing on radio and TV. And I love what this one kid said. Listen, it's caused me to have a bad attitude towards my parents. How come they never listen to me? How, come... how much of this stuff they're getting in their brain? You wonder why kids are getting, with all due respect, the statistically bratty, disrespectful? Oh, no, no, it has nothing to do with the media. No, it influences their behavior. But again, if you don't want to listen to statistics or common sense, uh, kids, and then, then how about, let's appeal to our own conscience. We're Christians, right? If Jesus were to come today and say, I want to spend tonight with you. I've got a free night here. Of course, obviously, I'm joking. 
one free, free night here, and I want to spend specifically with you. And you can say, Jesus, that's awesome. I'm so glad you came over to my house, man. I tell you what, here's what we're going to do. Tonight, we're going to come to my house, and, and we're going to watch this. Watch this with me. Would you do this? Let's take a look. The two Christian film offices that had been active in providing moral guidelines for the entertainment industry for over 30 years were shut down as well. New ideas and a new breed of people began to take their place. Among them was Anton Sander LaVey. We believe in greed, we believe in selfishness, we believe in all of the lustful thoughts that motivate man because this is man's... After opening up his Church of Satan in San Francisco, LaVey began to advise filmmakers on matters involving the occult. LaVey's satanic beliefs make his observations about the film industry's new attitude towards Jesus very interesting. The satanic age, he said, began about the year 1966, and now we are beginning to see in Jesus Christ Superstar and Godspell, Jesus as fallible, no different from any other man, which is originally what Satan was supposed to represent. LaVey proved to be far more discerning than the multitudes of church-going people who bought into this dumbing down of the Messiah. Sage Christ on a popsicle stick. My God, I'm so hungry! Harold Christ on a rubber clip. That's why I think the Last Supper, I know they doctored that up. It's your Last Supper! This is the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. And a fine Beaujolais. Jesus Christ walks into a hotel. He hands the innkeeper three nails. And he asks, Can you put me up for the night? When asked about her character's venomous hatred of Christ in the Ken Russell film, Lair of the White Worm, Donahoe replied, I'm an atheist, so it was actually a joy. Spitting on Christ was a great deal of fun. From cartoons... What do you know, wife? ...to comedy. Maybe there's no devil. It's just God when he's drunk. Yes, God did exist. He died. He was very small. Mystery solved. Whether it's showing contempt for the scriptures... Hey, look at this, kids. Just what I've been warning you about. Poking fun at going to church. Even worse than you thought. What kind of crowd? He's not doing drugs, is he? No, no. <laughs> He's going to church. Oh, God, no. What's this? I'm off to church. He's whacked. Bart, Making light of prayer. Great. Dear God, we pay for all this stuff ourselves, so thanks for nothing. Where the pagan practices of American Indians are treated with loving respect. Where Eastern religions bask in the warm fuzzies of spiritual awe where even the occult is given the benefit of the doubt. He said the divine force is what the soul is made of. While the Christian faith of untold millions is portrayed as a potential breeding ground for neo-Nazis, public executions, and a religion-induced madness that can lead to everything from mob violence to a mother's willingness to kill her child for God. Do you love God? Yes. You tell him that. Don't be afraid, baby. Far too often, this is the gospel according to Hollywood. And you wonder why our world not only thinks that we Christians are a bunch of dumb dupe idiots, but they've moved to the next stage and we are dangerous. 
What's the verbiage they're using? Same one they're using on the Muslim terrorists. We're also right-wing fundamentalist extremists. I mean, haven't you seen TV? They'll shoot their own kids. They hang people that just... It's all propaganda. Now, here's my point to the question. Jesus comes over to your house. Do you, do you think he wants to sit down and watch any of that stuff? Then why are we watching that? Especially when the Bible says this. Watch this, folks. Uh, uh, remember what Paul said about us when we got saved? What happened to us? 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16 through 17. Christian, don't you know that you yourselves are what? You're God's temple. And God's spirit's where? He's on the backside of Pluto. He doesn't see what's going on. No. God's spirit lives in you. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is sacred. Christian, you are that temple. The Bible says, listen, God, yes, he's omnipresent, number one. Number two, Paul adds this, that listen, his spirit lives inside of us. So here's what's really wild. What we hear, he hears. What we see, he sees. In essence, if you will, we are forcing him to watch this baloney. Why in the world would we do that? Jesus said, listen, folks, if that's you, you better check into for some radical surgery. Here's what he says. Man, if you just can't, if your eyes are out of control, you better do something quick. Matthew 5, 29. So if your eye causes you to lust, what, what do you do? Gouge out and throw that thing away, man. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than your whole body be thrown into hell. Now, he's not talking to me, literally take your eyeball out. He does the same thing with the hand, same thing with the foot. He's not talking, chop your hands or feet off. What's the principle? He says, if there's anything coming into your eyes, if anything with your hands, your feet, your eyes, if any of that stuff is causing you sin, what do you do? Radical surgery. Get rid of it now. Not your eye. The thing that's going in your eye. Why? Because it will cause you to sin. It will bring great darkness into your life. How great it will become. And I didn't save you for that. I wanted you to be a light in this dark world. Not to be like the world and walk around in darkness. So get rid of it. Take it serious. But if you don't want to listen to Jesus, let me make one final appeal. Don't be like these people. Watch this. And the Spirit lifted me up between the earth and the sky and brought me in a vision of God to Jerusalem, to the north gate of the temple. Then the Lord brought me to the entry of the courtyard, and when I looked, I saw a hole in the wall. Now dig into the wall, he said. I did, and uncovered a door to a hidden room. Then the Lord said to me, Go on in and see the terrible, evil things they are doing there. So I entered and looked, and the walls were covered with pictures of all kinds of demonic and hideous things, including all the various idols worshipped by the people of the land. There they were, standing before the images, fixing their minds on them and lifting up their hearts to them. The incense of their worship created a thick, dark cloud above their heads. Then the Lord said to me, Son of man, have you seen what the people of the land are doing in the dark, each man in the room of his idols? And they say, The Lord does not see us. He has gone away. People in Ezekiel's day had the same problem. It just wasn't as electronic. But the Lord does see us, and he has not gone away. And so I'll challenge you. 
first of the year. If you walk away from our study today, especially knowing what you now know, and you still just can't seem to shut it off, then maybe your allegiance really isn't with the one and only God who saved your soul. Maybe it's with a dark idol in the shape of a square that's destroying your soul. And God is desperately trying to get you as his child to shut it off, not because of legalism, but because of common sense. He wants you to be smart with your ears, with your eyes. He's given you victory over sin. He wants you to walk in that victory to be a light unto this dark world. Just shut it off. Absorb light in both inputs. Have a great day with Jesus. Get the gospel out and do something splendid for him. Amen? Well, hi, this is Billy Crone of Get a Life Ministries, and I hope you enjoyed today's study. But in closing, let me ask you one final question. Are you sure that if you were to die today that you go to heaven and not hell? Now, before you answer that, let me uh, share with you a couple things that the Bible says. The Bible says that God is holy and that we are not. And the wages of our sin or unholiness is death. We don't deserve to go to heaven when we die. We deserve to go down. We deserve to go to hell. Now, to make matters worse, we don't even want to admit this problem that we have, that we're separated from God not only now, but we're going to be separated from Him for all eternity in a place called hell. We, we, we don't even want to admit that. So, once again, out of love, God gives us what's called the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments were God's x-ray, if you will, divine x-ray to, to get us to admit the problem that we have inside that's separating us from Him. Let, let, let's take a look at a few of those of God's divine x-ray. For instance, if you think that you're worthy on your own, you don't need a Savior, uh, you're going to get to heaven all by yourself, then let's take a look at God's test there. Uh, the, the Ten Commandments. The ninth one says, you shall not bear false witness. That means lying. Uh, how many of you have ever told a lie before? Raise your hand. Okay. Uh, if you didn't raise your hand, you just told one. But folks, we've all done that. That makes us a liar. The Ten Commandments, God's x-ray, showing us that we have sin that's separating us from Him. We're not holy and perfect like Him. The Fifth Commandment says this, you shall not steal. Don't ever once take anything without permission. How many of you have ever done that? Well, if we're not going to tell another lie, we, we should all admit that as well. Well, that makes us a thief now. The Bible says that God is so holy, uh, even His name is holy. And that's why the Ten Commandments says, You shall not use the Lord's name in vain. And if we're honest again, folks, hey, a lot of us, how many of us have used the blessed name of Jesus Christ? The only name, the Bible says, under heaven that men might be saved. We've now turned it into a common cuss word, if you can believe that. The Bible says that's the sin of blasphemy. The Bible also says, hey, show, you want to show God you're so perfect, you have no sin, then don't ever once commit adultery. And you might say, well, I, I've never done that, really? Jesus lays the standard before us. God looks at the heart. Man looks on the outside. Jesus said, if you ever looked with lust in your eye at another person, you've committed adultery in your heart. That's His holy standard. One more, the Bible says, okay, you think you're so good? Uh, then don't ever once commit murder. You shall not murder. And you might say, well, hey, I, at least I haven't done that one. Really? The Bible again says that the sin of hatred, wishing someone was uh, dead, is akin to the sin of murder. It's just, if you will, you pull the trigger in your heart. So, so, so how are you doing? That's just five out of ten of God's divine x-ray, by the way, uh, showing us the problem. How are you doing? Not if, but when your time comes, we're all going to stand before God. You will be forced to admit what He already knows. Hey, God, let me in. Let me in. I'm a, I'm a liar. I'm a, I'm a thief. I'm a, a blasphemer, an adulterer, and a murderer. And the Bible is clear. 
such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. You're not headed to heaven in that state. You're headed to hell. But here's the good news. God said if we would just admit this, number one, then he could fix it. And it gets fixed only one way, and that's through Jesus Christ. Jesus said in the book of John, chapter 14, verse 6, he says, I am the way, the life, and the truth, and nobody comes to the Father but by me. Why? Because only Jesus lived the perfect life in our place. And Jesus died on the cross. He took the death penalty in our place so that we could be set free. And since we weren't there, and since it's a gift and we can't earn it, we have to receive that wonderful gift by faith. And the Bible says God will pardon us for our crimes, our sins against Him. And you could actually see this analogy working uh, in the natural, in the normal world. Uh, we see this actually uh, in the courtroom. For instance, if a person is guilty and, and everybody knows they're guilty, they've committed a horrible crime and, and, and the, the sentence has passed, the judge has knocked down the gavel and says, hey, uh, you are going to jail, you are going to the death penalty for that crime. And, and we know that people, that happens all the time and they go to jail, but believe it or not, did you know there's a way for that person, even though they're guilty, to actually be set free from that crime? It's called a pardon. And the one in authority, the governor, has the part out of mercy, out of goodness, certainly nothing that that person did in jail. They can't undo the crime. It's too late. But out of mercy, the governor could go down there and grant that person in jail a full pardon for their crimes. And by receiving that pardon, the doors come open and they are set free and they're rescued from the death penalty. Folks, that's what God is doing every single day with us spiritually. He has allowed His Son, Jesus Christ, to take the death penalty in our place. He's pardoned us, but a pardon does you no good unless you reach out and receive it. And it's actually been on historical record that there have been people on death row who a governor has gone down out of mercy and extended to them a full pardon, but they've rejected it. And by their own doing, they went to the death penalty. Folks, don't make that same mistake for all eternity. God loves you. He's willing to forgive you of anything and everything you've ever done. All of it. Even the sins we don't even know about. He wants to pardon you and forgive you, but you must receive that by faith today. The Bible says if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you call upon His name, ask Him to forgive you of all your sins, believe in your heart that God raised Him from the grave, you will be saved. Please do that now. Please do that today because tomorrow may be too late. Well, this has been Billy Crone of Get a Life Ministries. Again, thank you for joining us. If there's anything that you need, if you have any questions, please don't hesitate to contact us. Our information and number and uh, things will uh, pop up here on the screen here shortly. And remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless.